Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Now, enjoy the show. This is not pretty. Crime scene never is. But do you see that? There, in the victim's... Yes, I see it. So, evidence of sexual activity. Why would you leave it? You think he ran off in a hurry? No, I don't think so. Why not? Look at this. What is it? What is it? A soup ladle? Something like that. The murder weapon? No, not heavy enough. What is that liquid? I... I think it's blood. Her blood? Who else? Wait, what are you saying? It looks like the perp killed her. And then drained the body. No. Yes. And then? I think he drank her blood. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. You're listening to our investigation into the Atlas Vampire. If you want to hear our investigations into other cold cases, you can listen, subscribe, and write reviews on your favorite podcast directory. You can also listen through our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T.com. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Like I mentioned, today we're investigating the sensational case of the Atlas Vampire. Uh, Wait, did you say vampire? That's right. He was called the Atlas Vampire, and he struck in Stockholm, Sweden in 1932. His victim was a Swedish prostitute. But who was the killer? Was it a client? Was it an acquaintance? Was it a vampire? No. We don't believe in vampires, do we? How else to explain the bizarre circumstances of this death? I'm sure there's a logical way. Although the police investigated thoroughly, there was never an answer. Carter, there's always an answer. And the perpetrator was never brought to justice. That just means the killer got away with it. And... Thus it remains one of the great unsolved mysteries in the history of Sweden. I can't argue with that. So, let's start at the beginning. It's Stockholm in 1932. Wait, before you go any further, a little note. We realize that since this takes place in Stockholm, everybody would be speaking Swedish. To make sure we do not mitigate this case, our presentation will have no accents and be in English. So other than the language, we will try to remain true to the story. Okay, end of note. And back to Stockholm in 1932. It was then, as now, the capital of Sweden. And the most populous city of the Nordic countries. Which consist of Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway, and Sweden. The city is spread across 14 islands on the coast in the southeast of Sweden, at the mouth of Lake Malaren by the Stockholm Archipelago and the Baltic Sea. The area had been settled since the Stone Age, six millenniums before the birth of Christ, and was founded as a city in 1252. So, it's been a major metropolitan center in Europe for a long time. Stockholm holds the annual Nobel Prize ceremonies, which started in 1901. And it hosted the Summer Olympics in 1912. 
It is home to top-ranking universities, world-renowned museums, as well as the largest IKEA furniture store in the world. Oh, I want to go. Mm. In 1932, there was a resident in the Atlas section of Stockholm named Lily Lindstrom. Hi, Lily. Hi, Millie. Just out running errands? Yeah. I had to pick up a few things at the store. Have a great day. You too. Lily Lindstrom lived alone in a one-bedroom apartment. Home sweet home. You mentioned the Atlas section of town? Yes. The area of Stockholm by the Sankt Eriksbron Bridge was a heavily industrial district until the turn of the century in 1900. The Atlas area, east of the bridge, was named after the industrial company Atlas, whose workshops used to occupy the area. Used to? So they were gone? Right. And the city planned out a new neighborhood in 1926. Which means that this was a new section of town in 1932, only six years later. Absolutely. The buildings went up fast and tall. Most are five or six floors. And the apartments? Well, the apartments, or flats as they were called, were small. One or two rooms with a kitchen and dark. A fitting metaphor. A lot of things in Scandinavia are dark. Well, the builders in Atlas were private entrepreneurs. Well, that explains the small size of the flats. They were trying to get as much bang for their buck. But they did feature modern amenities, central heating and bathrooms. I'm glad I don't live in a time where a bathroom is considered an amenity and not a necessity. This was where Lily Lindstrom lived. She was 32 and single. And she was known in her apartment building as the call girl. Hello? Speaking. Because she was a call girl? Well, she was, but she was called the call girl because she was the only one in the building with a phone. No phones? How barbaric. <laughs> I guess that was an even bigger amenity than a bathroom, but Lily had one. Hey, she needed it for her business. Hello? This is Johan. What can I do for you? Uh, I'd like to make an appointment. What day? Uh, Friday. Uh, Friday night. Why don't we say 8 o'clock? I, I was wondering if we could... Not over the phone. Oh, right, right. But, uh... I'll see you Friday at 8? Okay? Yes, uh, absolutely. So this was life for Lily Lindstrom, entertaining clients at her apartment? Well, not her whole life. I'm sure she enjoyed all the pleasures that we enjoy. Eating, drinking, good company. She was friendly with her downstairs neighbor, Millie Jansen. But her job, her livelihood. She was a hooker. That's right. Was it legal? Uh, in a word, no. So this isn't like Amsterdam. No. Uh, prostitution has been legal in the Netherlands since 1830. But not in Sweden. No. As you know, prostitution has been around since ancient times. That's why it's often described as the world's oldest profession. The first records of prostitution as a profession date to the Sumerians, who were living in Mesopotamia in the third millennium BC. Things always get wild in Mesopotamia. <laughs> Well, the sale of sex continued through the periods of the Greeks, the Romans, ancient Israel. It's even there in the Bible. There were forms in other societies as well. Uh, the Aztecs, the Incas, India, Japan. Pretty much everywhere. Yep, it wasn't until the Middle Ages that attitudes hardened against prostitution. And that was from the rise of the church. Mm, also, a syphilis outbreak that started in 1494 might have contributed. But still, the practice persisted. Without a doubt. And all over the world, including here in America. 
Well, we certainly had our share. Just watch Deadwood. But getting back to Sweden, the earliest law to explicitly ban prostitution was in the Civil Code of 1734. I'm guessing this didn't end it. No, and it continued either underground or being implicitly tolerated by the police. There was an attempt between 1838 and 1841 for municipal authorities in Stockholm to establish state control through privately licensed brothels. That didn't work? It did not. So, prostitution remained illegal. I thought that the Europeans had a more liberal attitude towards sex than us. Well, that's because, in general, they do. And during the last 140 years or so, there have been discussions and debates and studies and commissions in Sweden that examine gender roles in prostitution. And where did they land on that? It is now illegal for a person to buy sex, but not to sell sex. (laughs) Illegal to buy, but not to sell. Right. So they're putting the burden on the John, not the prostitute. Right. It was effectively decriminalizing prostitution. But this law didn't come into effect until 1998. So if we go back to 1932... And Lily Lindstrom? Prostitution was still illegal. It was the night of May 2nd, 1932. A mild night with the temperature in the 50s. Because Sweden is so far north, the sun wouldn't set until almost 9 o'clock. Lily Lindstrom was, as you put it, uh, entertaining a client. Hi there. But she had to run downstairs to her friend Millie's apartment on the first floor. Get comfortable. I'll be right back. Who is it? It's Lily. What is it, Lily? I seem to have run out of condoms. Can I borrow? Sure. Come in. She borrowed a prophylactic from Millie. So I'm assuming that that means that Millie is also... Yes, she was a prostitute too. Lily, be careful. I'll see you tomorrow. But she would see Lily earlier than that, because later that night, there was another knock on the door. Millie? It's Lily again. Lily, what are you wearing? A raincoat. I can see, but under that? Nothing. Lily! I hate to ask. But I need another condom. Again? I wouldn't ask if it wasn't important. Yes, I understand. She was borrowing another condom? Yes. I don't want to judge Lily, but she was certainly having a lot of sex. That's one explanation. Well, it seems like the only explanation. Why else would she keep running out of condoms? I admit, that's true. But maybe her visits to her downstairs neighbor had a secondary purpose. What other purpose? Maybe she wanted to be seen. They were in a high-risk profession, and sure, they weren't out on the street, but still, here was a chance to check in on each other. Now Millie knew she was with a client. Probably everyone in the building knew that, running up and down the stairs and wearing nothing but a raincoat. (laughs) Fair enough. But this was just another normal night in the life of Lily Lindstrom. Except it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Because the next day, Millie did not see her upstairs neighbor. Well, that's one day. Maybe their paths didn't cross. But she didn't see her the next day either. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. On Unsolved Murders, we explore the facts of real-life true crime cold cases. But if you're looking for more true crime cases with a bit of a twist you should check out the ParCast original Female Criminals. When you think of a criminal, what do you picture? Do you picture a murderer 
a gangster, a thief. I bet you didn't think it could be the mother around the corner or the little old lady next door. Female Criminals investigates the lives of the world's most notorious female felons and explores the stories behind their dangerous crimes. These criminals come in every form, from serial killers and assassins to bank robbers and drug lords. Female Criminals is like a mystery and crime documentary rolled into one. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. Follow Female Criminals free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to our story. Millie became concerned about Lily Lindstrom. And she rang her neighbor's flat. Presumably from a public phone, since she didn't have her own phone. There was no answer. And now Millie was very concerned. There was also no answer when she went to knock on the door. Lily? Lily? She put her ear to the door and couldn't hear a sound. Very, very concerned. At this point, Millie made the call she dreaded. Police. It's my neighbor. I think something's happened to her. Where are you? St. Eric Plan 11. We'll be right there. On May 4th, 1932, the police showed up at the scene. Miss Lindstrom, open up. Let me guess. The chief investigator was a brooding loner who was upset about not only the victim, but the societal influences that had put her in harm's way. Let me guess. You've been reading your Swedish detective fiction again. How did you know? That is a common motif in the literature. But back to Lily Lindstrom. When the police didn't get any response... Open it up for us. They entered her apartment. There she is. Dead? Yes. They found Lily's body face down on the bed and her clothes neatly folded on a chair next to the body. So she was naked? Yes, but that wasn't the most disturbing detail. Do you see that? Is that a... Yes, a condom. They found a used condom still in Lily's anus. Gross. What's the cause of death? Looks like blunt force trauma to the head. So we're thinking one of her Johns comes in, has sex, does her in? It might be a little more complicated than that. There was also saliva on Lily's neck and body. So if this were the present day, they could run a DNA test on the saliva and the contents of the condom and match it to one of Lily's clients. That's right. If there was a CSI Stockholm, the case would have been solved in an hour with time for commercial breaks. But unfortunately, it was 1932. So we bring in the Johns, sweat them, and see if they crack? There's something else I have to show you. But the most disturbing detail was still to come. Look at this. What is it? A soup ladle? Something like that. Maybe a gravy ladle. The murder weapon? No, not heavy enough. What is that liquid? I think it's blood. Her blood? Who else? Wait, what are you saying? It looks like the perp killed her. And then drained the body. No. Yes. And then? I think he drank her blood. With a revelation that the murderer of Lily Lindstrom had drained the blood from her body and possibly drank it... Whoa, 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 hold on. How are we jumping to the conclusion that he possibly drank it? That was a theory of the police. But there's no actual evidence of anyone drinking blood. Sure, there was no eyewitness, but there was blood on the gravy ladle. Well, that could have been 
just from draining the blood of her body. Okay, but isn't that a bizarre enough ritual in and of itself? Draining the blood from a victim's body? Agreed. And that opens up a line of inquiry, profiling the killer. Was this premeditated murder or a crime of passion? I could see it going either way. Hmm. Lily was killed by a blow to the head. That could have been planned or spontaneous. But then the perpetrator stayed in the room long enough to drain the blood. That suggests planning, or at a minimum, some sort of strange fantasy that the killer was now playing out. Now, this wasn't a serial killer, at least that we know about, because there was only one victim. But serial killers can be broken down into two groups, organized or disorganized. There's certainly evidence of organization. The victim appears to be carefully selected, the clothes were neatly folded, he had time to do the blood draining, he got away clean, taking the murder weapon with him. But there's also disorganization. The organized killer doesn't leave behind evidence, and this killer did. The body, the used condom, the ladle. Well, this could be one of those rare cases where the killer is a mixed offender. Where there is evidence of planning, but maybe the killer was overcome by a frenzy or a compulsion. Did he plan to kill Lily before he got to the flat? Or was it a sexual compulsion that got carried away? Then, did he plan to drain the blood and possibly drink it? Or was that another fetish that he acted on? Our first thought is that he knew he had enough time to get away with the blood draining. But there's also a chance that he just acted and part of the thrill was that he could be discovered at any moment. We also have to consider the possibility that this was his first kill and he was developing his method. Which brings us to the question of M.O. versus signature. The M.O. or modus operandi describes the tools or strategies that a criminal uses to commit a crime. How he does the deed and tries to get away with it. Arranging a rendezvous with a prostitute at night, possibly establishing an alibi, maybe bringing the murder weapon and carrying it away. The M.O. can change over time as the killer refines his method. While the signature is an act that has nothing to do with committing the crime and getting away with it, and it will not change. In this case, there are a couple of possible signatures, the posing of the body and the post-mortem mutilation. Which brings us to the condom. Why did he leave it behind? Maybe to show dominance? The body was face down and he was in charge. Or maybe he considered it dirty, and now it belonged to this dirty victim. Well, there is also a chance that he had killed the victim in the sex act and completed it after she was dead. Well, that's definitely a troubling thought. The whole case is troubling. And then there's the draining of the blood. Was this the killer's signature? Would there be another prostitute showing up with the blood drained from her body? The investigators were certainly concerned about the killer striking again. And the public as well. The perp was now being called the Atlas Vampire. Atlas because that was the section of town, and Vampire because the media loves a good sensational story. Lots of people love a good sensational story. Which brings us to this. Anytime there is the murder of a prostitute, there is one case that immediately comes to mind. Jack the Ripper. Exactly. Jack the Ripper is the common name given to a serial killer who committed a series of murders in and around the Whitechapel area of London starting in 1888. And most of the victims were prostitutes. But there are obvious differences in this case. First of all, here in Sweden, there is only one murder. Right. This wasn't a string of violence against women. At least not yet. Here was only one victim. 
So it doesn't appear that the perpetrator was a psychopath driven to kill. Again, at least not yet. Otherwise, there would have been other related cases and there weren't. Also, the Atlas section of Stockholm was not as impoverished as the Whitechapel section of London. Plus, the victim was living at home. Jack the Ripper grabbed many of his victims off of the street. But the killer in Sweden might have targeted a prostitute for a similar reason as Jack the Ripper. Thinking this person was a disposable member of society. Well, then there's the manner of the killing. She wasn't stabbed and slashed like the Ripper's victims, or horribly disfigured. Well, so the parallels fall short. However, there is one troubling detail from the Ripper murders that seems to bear on this case. And that is? How several of the victims had organs removed. And that evokes the draining of the blood in this case, right? It sure does. And that's all well and good. But what does that mean as far as this murder is concerned? Well, one theory in the Jack the Ripper case is that the bodies were cut up with surgical precision because the killer was a surgeon. And you think that it's possible that the perp in this case, the Atlas Vampire, might have been a doctor as well? well? We certainly have to consider it. A doctor or a medical professional. Someone with training on how to draw blood. Which brings us to the case of the Black Dahlia. Really? Whenever a prostitute gets murdered, first someone brings up Jack the Ripper, and then it's the Black Dahlia. The Black Dahlia murder was the killing of Elizabeth Short in Los Angeles in 1947. I need to point out that despite the popular misconception, there's no evidence that Elizabeth Short actually was a call girl. True. Short's body was found on a street in L.A., disfigured and drained of blood. And you're drawing a parallel to the draining of the blood in the Lily Lindstrom case. Well, it may be a stretch, but one of the theories on the Black Dahlia murder, which is detailed in former Los Angeles police detective Steve Hodel's best-selling book, Black Dahlia Avenger, is that the killer was his father, George Hill Hodel, Dr. George Hill Hodel. Oh. So the killer of Lily Lindstrom must be a doctor too? Well, not necessarily, but it does make sense. And was there a doctor among the suspects that the police were looking at? Not yet, but they were only just beginning their search. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. And now let's continue the story. In the aftermath of Lily Lindstrom's murder, the police began looking hard at her clients. You're coming in with us. I didn't do anything. We'll be the judge of that. Unfortunately, although the perpetrator left evidence at the crime scene... The saliva, the used condom... There were no fingerprints. And fingerprints were what the police used in 1932 to identify criminals. So he had cleaned the crime scene according to the technology of the time. Yeah. Still, the police were determined, and they brought in eight different Johns. I'm going to see if you're an honest man. Did you make use of Lily Lindstrom's services? Yes, I went to her, but it was just sex. So things got a little rough. Uh, maybe got carried away? No! Accidents happen. It's better if you tell us up front. Look, the last time I saw her, she was alive. Can you prove it? I had nothing to do with her murder. So, do you have an alibi for May 2nd? I was out of town on holiday. Well, we'll be checking that out. And unfortunately... They struck out. That's right. All were ruled out. Which means the investigation was at a standstill. And as a result, the desperate investigators would soon be entertaining a bizarre new theory. The police investigating the death of Lily Lindstrom were stuck. 
and their attempts to identify a client who might have done it hadn't proved fruitful. Which gave rise to speculation that the killer was a police officer. That makes sense in theory because Lily was probably known to the police, and a police officer would know how the investigation was tracking so he could avoid getting caught. Still, where's the evidence of that? Mm, It's just not there. Right. Which brings us to the wildest theory of all. Oh, don't say it. That it was a vampire. Just hear me out. In this case, many people believe it was a vampire. Now, you and I both know this is not possible, but I am going to play the part of someone that believes it was a vampire, and you can be the voice of reason. It's crazy. Look, the perp was called the Atlas Vampire. We have to talk about vampires. There you go. Well, vampires are beings from folklore who subsist by feeding on the life essence of the living, usually by drinking their blood. So you're saying Dracula showed up in Stockholm in 1932 and killed Lily Lindstrom? The notion of vampirism has existed for millennia. Cultures as diverse as the Mesopotamians, Hebrews, ancient Greeks, and Romans had tales of creatures which would be considered the precursor to modern vampires. There are those swinging Mesopotamians again. (laughs) However, the vampire legend as we know it really began in Eastern Europe in the 18th century. In most cases, vampires are revenants of evil beings, suicide victims, or witches, but they can also be created by a malevolent spirit possessing a corpse or by being bitten by a vampire. And you believe in these creatures? People do to the point where there are several cases of mass hysteria where societies feared the appearance of vampires and many people were killed. Not unlike the witch hunt in Salem. To ward off vampires, there are objects called apotropaics. That is a mouthful. The most common is garlic. Or a cross or holy water. Right. Another way to ward off a vampire was to have a mirror on the front door pointing out. Because the vampire wouldn't have a reflection. Why is that? The mirror was believed to reflect both the body and the soul. And because the vampire had no soul, he had no reflection. And they burn in the sunlight. Yes, vampires are creatures of the night. But the notion that they actually burn in the sunlight varies from tale to tale. The modern template of the vampire comes from Bram Stoker's Dracula. This 1897 gothic novel featured a vampire called Count Dracula, who attempts to move from Transylvania to England while battling a small group of men and women led by Professor Abraham Van Helsing. Well, there's no question that vampires have captured the public's imagination. Depictions of the undead have remained a fixture in our popular culture. From the campy vampire of old horror movies... I want to drink your blood. To the brooding vampires of Twilight. Edward, I love you. From Count Von Count on Sesame Street. One, two, three, four, four bats. Ah, ah, ah. To the sexy vampires of True Blood and the Vampire Diaries. Ooh, the bastard's tougher than he looks. I guess after 4,000 years, he's learned a trick or two. Don't forget Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, in every generation, there is a chosen one. She alone will stand against the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness. She is the Slayer. That is very impressive. But you're probably wondering how this applies to the case of Lily Lindstrom. Okay, if I could entertain this crazy idea for a second, 
a couple of questions pop immediately to mind. If Lily Lindstrom was bitten by a vampire, why didn't she turn into a vampire? That's easy. She was killed first. Oh. All right. But if there was a vampire in Stockholm in 1932 who had to feed once a month, why weren't there more dead prostitutes? Good question. Actually, a rumor started that the police secretly caught the man who did it and killed him. Ooh, what a very convenient rumor. But it doesn't make a lot of sense. True. If the police caught the perp, then why wouldn't they want the public to know? Unless it would be embarrassing to the police. Like if the killer was one of their own. Still, even if they had a bad cop on the force, it doesn't seem that embarrassing that they would cover it up. Which brings us back to the vampire. No! First, as with many urban legends, there is a psychological point behind the story. How so? According to legend, a vampire cannot enter a home unless he is invited in. Okay. So maybe the idea here is blaming the victim. She let the evil force into her home. That's just horrible. Yes. Well, there's another possibility. What if it were someone acting like a vampire? Well, that seems like a stretch, but there was saliva on the neck, but no bite marks. Okay. Well, I don't mean he was pretending to be a vampire. I just mean he had a fetish, and his fetish was drinking blood. Why do you assume he had to drink the blood just because he drained the blood? Well, in this case, isn't draining a corpse's blood fetish enough? Fair enough. And if he went further, well, the more bizarre. Certainly. But in that case, the murderer was human with grotesque compulsions. A human who needed to be caught. And wasn't. No, he wasn't. And that's what's so sad. The killer of Lily Lindstrom got away. You're right. And all we are left with are questions and speculation. Just like the police in Stockholm 85 years ago. It doesn't seem very satisfying, but that's all the information we have. Tell us on Facebook. Who do you think killed Lily Lindstrom? A doctor? A policeman? Or someone else? Please, don't say vampire. (laughs) And don't let the fact that this case is known as the Atlas Vampire sway your vote. Or maybe you have another better theory worth sharing. Because this investigation, as with all of our cases, remains officially open and unsolved. The case of the Atlas Vampire, the murder of Lily Lindstrom, still occupies a prominent place in Swedish lore. Evidence that was gathered at the scene of the crime is on display in a case at Stockholm's Police Museum. In 2007, Swedish musician Erik Malmberg released an instrumental track whose title translates to In Memory of Lily Lindstrom. The perfect reminder that at the heart of this, a young woman lost her life. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on Facebook or Twitter, at Parcast Network. A new episode comes out every Tuesday, and next Tuesday we'll begin our investigation into the Velisca Axe Murders. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. If we live until next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. 
It's produced by Ron and Max Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Joel Stein and Maggie Admire, and was written by Stephen DeLello. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, in alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Kimberly Holland, Steve Pinto, and Brooklyn Sarver. 